This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, your host. Thank you for coming back. Uh, Or if it's your first time, welcome. Uh, Today on the podcast, I wanted to discuss a very common issue uh, that's possibly not overly well understood, and that is the issue of non-Americans buying property, meaning real estate, in the United States. Okay, totally normal thing to do. We don't have any sort of controls on who can and who cannot buy real estate in the U.S. It's an open market, so anybody can come in and and bid and buy real estate regardless of where they're from. Okay, We don't discriminate in that way, which might come as a little bit of a surprise to some people, but that is the case. And so if you were, say, from Germany and you wanted to buy a ranch in Texas, there's nothing that says you can't come buy the ranch in Texas or buy a ranch in Arizona. There's nothing that says... You cannot buy that ranch. Um, same thing with farmland, same thing with condominiums, etc. So very frequently, people from other countries will purchase real estate in the United States. There are, if that real estate is going to be rented or sold in the future, quite specific rules about taxation of the rental income, the deductibility or not of the depreciation deductions on and expenses of renting the property, as well as very specific tax rules about how the proceeds from a sale are taxed in the United States, all of which are well beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about today. So if you're if you're interested in that, that's going to be a different top a different podcast in the future. Uh, I promise I'll cover it at least in enough detail where you'll get sort of the general gist of it. But the issue that I want to kind of hone in on beyond the income taxes, and I think everybody tends to focus, and certainly in my experience, clients, non-American clients who have purchased real estate here tend to be focused on the income tax side of things because that's usually what they're used to. But we have an estate tax. There aren't that many countries in the world, in fact, that have an, a true estate tax like we do. Our estate tax is what's called an excise tax, meaning it's uh, it's an amount of money that's added onto the value of something. The tax is based on the valuation of the thing, and it's an excise tax on the value of the transfer of something at your death. If somebody is not a citizen of the United States, and they are not a resident of the United States, then they are taxable from an estate tax perspective on death in the United States on their assets that are located inside the United States. And real estate is, of course, located here. You can't just pick it up and move it. So real estate gets thrown into that mix. There are other rules about other types of assets that, again, are beyond the scope of what I'm going to talk about today. So if you want to know about that, maybe that'll be a different episode for a different day. But real estate, just now for sure, uh, is located here. If Certainly if it's owned directly by the person, which is very common, especially with, say, rental properties. Um, but sometimes even when it's owned indirectly, you can be this non-citizen, non-resident can be treated as if they own the property at their death in the U.S. that is real estate. So let's hone in just a little bit on the, the direct ownership of the real estate. Uh, so you've got a non-citizen. That part is usually relatively easy to 
to figure out, although citizenship is not as cut and dry as you might think it is, it would be because a person, for example, can be a citizen and not know it if they're born in another country to American parents. Uh, and there are very specific rules about that, which again are beyond the scope of what I'm talking about today. Uh, that might be another day. But a person is a resident of the United States if they have moved here, and this is for estate tax purposes, okay? So just, this is not the income tax rule. But if they have moved here with the subjective intent to stay here permanently, then they become a resident for estate tax purposes, uh, excuse me, estate tax purposes. So reverse that. Let's say they just purchased a vacation home in Miami or Palm Springs or some other nice place. They have not moved to the U.S. They have no intention to stay in the U.S. permanently. They're not applying for a permanent visa or anything like that. Um, those people are non-residents, okay? So non-citizen, non-resident. In that case, the estate tax for them is applied if the value of the thing they own is worth more than $60,000. That's a number that comes from the 40s. It's not indexed for inflation. It's been that number forever. Maybe not forever, but for a very long time. Um, and nobody's going to change it. So if you sort of think about like a, the vacation house, um, what it really means is the entire value of the house is going to be subject to estate tax. The estate tax is a 40% tax. So a million dollars, 40% is $400,000. Somebody's got to write a check, $400,000 to pay off the U.S. government. So you might think, well, how does the U.S. even know? Well, the U.S. knows because we have a voluntary tax system that requires a person to disclose this information. It also, specifically in the case of real estate, has a has a little bit of a tool in its back pocket that is, in essence, a lien that... Uh, if if you have this lien on real estate, certainly if you're doing the transaction through sophisticated parties, will have to be released by the federal government, and they'll have to issue a certificate saying that it has been released um, before you can transfer the title, so you can't sell the property without getting this release. So whether that's today or in the future, you can't sell the property without getting this release if if people are aware that there's a deceased person and that deceased person was a non-U.S. person then sophisticated parties will know that's what you have to do. Yes, you could have unsophisticated parties. Yes, you could commit fraud uh, and not pay your taxes, but don't do that. That's a bad idea. So the, the IRS has plenty of tools in its toolbox to try to enforce these things. But there's a little bit of a surprise sometimes, particularly with, with clients who are either from countries that don't have an estate tax or they're from countries where they've been told half correctly that they are not subject to estate tax. So for example, Mexico does not have an estate tax. It's quite common for individuals from Mexico to purchase vacation homes in the U.S., um, especially a lot of the border states. Florida tends to be a popular one, especially with people from um, uh, Latin America, Southern Mexico. It's a pretty direct flight in, in and out of Miami, etc. So very, very common for them to purchase vacation homes, in essence, in the U.S., but they don't have an estate tax, so they don't have any sort of context unless they've spoken to a person that understands the rules in the U.S. of what those U.S. rules happen to be. And so they can find themselves in a situation where they bought a property, there is uh, value in the property, and they die, and now their family is faced with an estate tax on basically the entire value of their property when they pass away. The other common situation, and I apologize, I've got a <laughs> condenser on a uh, appliance going on in the background. So if you're hearing a humming, that's it's not your imagination. But the other the other uh, common situation is you have, say, somebody from Canada 
who purchases property in the U.S. Um, and then passes away. Well, the U.S. and Canada have a treaty that basically says that Canadians are entitled to a prorated amount of the exemption from estate tax that's available to a U.S. citizen or a U.S. resident. And that amount this year in 2022 is $12,060,000. So much, much more than the $60,000 for the poor old non-citizen non-resident. And so if you are someone from Canada and you have heard, oh, I get this prorated exemption, so I'm covered for estate taxes. Um, when you die, you might be surprised to learn that there's quite a bit of process that goes with claiming those benefits. So let's take both instances because uh, they both have to run on somewhat parallel paths, whether that's the person from Mexico or the person from Canada. So they've died. Now their estate must file a U.S. or, or an IRS estate tax return. There could be a state-level estate tax return uh, that must be filed as well. So if, if they're in a state that has an estate tax, that could apply, but that's beyond the scope of what I'm going to talk about today. So the federal estate tax is reported on an IRS Form 706 that gets filed within nine months or by nine months after the date of death. You get a six-month extension if you ask for it timely. So up to 15 months, uh, somewhere in that time, you've got to file this IRS Form 706. Well, the 706 is required for the estate of the deceased Mexican person or Canadian person. It's required, um, even if the estate tax is going to be zero, which in the case of the Mexican person, it is not. And, the, and in the case of the Canadian person, it very well might be. And the reason it has to be filed in the case of the Mexican person is because estate tax is due and you have to file the tax to report the tax, or you have to file the tax return, the 706, to report the tax and pay the tax. The reason it's due for the Canadian person is that in effect, a state tax is due, but for the fact that they get to claim the benefits of the treaty. Well, the IRS position is that you do not get to claim the benefits of the treaty unless you tell them you're doing so. And you have to do that on a timely filed tax return. And so in this case, it's the IRS Form 706. And you have to attach to that tax return yet another tax form. In this case, it's the IRS Form 8833-8833. And so you got to timely file the 706 and attach this form 8833. Once you've done that and disclosed values of things as of date of death and, and filled out this form, which is not an easy form necessarily to complete the 706. So likely you're hiring somebody in the U.S. who knows what they're doing to prepare the form for you. Um, so once you've gone through that process and you've filed uh the form, in the case of the Mexican national, also pay the tax, you're sort of clear. And you can get a clearance certificate from um, from the U.S. or from the IRS that shows that there aren't any estate taxes or that the estate taxes are paid in full. And then the property can be transferred without being subject to a lien that is the IRS's lien. And this lien just exists. There's nothing they have to do. It just exists. Um, they could they could try to file, you know, if they're trying to collect, they can try to file something to put everybody else on notice that the lien is there. But the lien exists always. Um, and the lien follows the, the exchange of the property as well, this estate tax lien. So, for example, um, let's say the family sells the house. They don't notify anybody of the sort of status of the deceased person, nobody ever raises the issue. So now the house is sold and they're just sitting on cash. Well, this IRS lien follows the cash and the lien then applies to the family or to the estate that now has different property. You know, they've exchanged the real estate for cash. Well, the lien 
attaches to the cash. So this estate tax lien is very sticky. And because of its very stickiness, um, getting these getting the certification from the IRS that um, the lien is no longer applicable or that the estate tax has been paid is is a very good thing. The the other component is in in the instance that no estate tax return is filed. Okay. So let's say the, the Canadian person who died and they believe I don't have to pay any estate tax or the family believes we don't have to pay any estate tax because the treaty, which they're half right, but they have to file a form and claim the benefits of the treaty. But let's assuming they don't know that. So they don't ever file this IRS form 706. They don't ever attach this magic form 8833 to claim the treaty benefits to the 706. Well, the position of the IRS is that First of all, you don't get the benefits of the treaty. So now there is a state tax that is due, notwithstanding the fact that the treaty would have bailed you out. So now a state tax is due. And <clears throat> we have some rules that in, in regulations essentially say that if you don't file a tax return and you don't provide certain information to the beneficiaries of the estate, that the tax basis of that property is zero. And the tax basis, of course, being the number that is used in the future to determine two things. One, depreciation deductions. So if they're going to rent out the property and they're able to depreciate it, the basis is the number you use to calculate the depreciation deductions. But it's also the number that you use to determine if there was a gain or a loss when you sell the property in the future, which the family might, you know, they might think, let's get rid of this thing. That was mom or dad's thing. We don't really want a vacation in, in Palm Springs every year, so we'll sell off the property. Well, if they haven't filed the IRS Form 706, they haven't gone through all these processes, they haven't given the beneficiaries of the estate this information and notice that's required, then when they sell the property, it's subject to capital gains tax. So it's, it was already subject to estate tax. Now it's subject to capital gains tax. And the capital gains tax is on 100% of the proceeds from the sale. Whereas, had they filed the Form 706, claimed the treaty benefits in the case of this, this Canadian person, hypothetical person that I've been using as an example, um, they would have paid zero estate tax. The income tax basis on the property would have been the fair market value as of the date of death. And so therefore, little or no capital gains if they sold the property very soon after the date of death. But instead, they don't file the Form 706. They don't, they don't claim the treaty benefits. They don't give this special information to the beneficiaries. Um, therefore, the tax basis is zero. Not only do you owe estate tax, 40% on the value of the property, but you also owe capital gains tax, which is 20% on the value of the property, maybe as high as 23.8% federal, plus any state level capital gains taxes. That is bad, bad, bad. And that also might be more tax than would be due in their home jurisdiction because the home jurisdiction might have given them a new income tax basis or an increased income tax basis. So there may not be any way to get out of having to pay um, all of that tax in the U.S. if it's if the ownership of this property by the deceased person wasn't adequately disclosed on tax returns. So very, very common problem with a very nasty result on the back end of it that people uh, stumble into because they owned real estate directly. So you might be thinking, well, what's the solution? Is there any way around this? Well, the first solution is don't own the property directly. And there are a few ways that this is typically done. Although, of course, the answer is it depends. And it depends very much, not so much on the US, but it depends much more on the home jurisdiction 
of the non-citizen non-resident because the home jurisdiction might have its own tax rules that would dictate what kind of structuring of non-direct ownership you would do of the real estate in the United States, okay? So like I said earlier, real estate is located here and non-citizen, non-resident people, when they die, they have to pay a state tax on all of their assets that are located in the United States. Well, something that is not deemed located in the United States is stock in a foreign meaning a non-U.S. corporation. Uh, if, therefore, the non-citizen, non-resident forms a non-U.S. corporation and the non-U.S. corporation buys the property, then setting aside some income tax issues with that specific structure, there is no estate tax issue because when they die, the thing they own is the foreign stock or the foreign corporation stock, not U.S. real estate. And foreign corporation stock is not located in the U.S. for real estate U.S. real estate is. Again, this is only for non-citizen, non-resident people. This has nothing to do with the rules that apply to citizens or residents of the U.S. for estate tax purposes. But for the non-citizen, non-resident person, that's the result. That's not always the best result for, from an, an income tax perspective for Canadian residents, for example. Um, but it, depending on the, the, juris, the home jurisdiction, that can be uh, the way that you can structure your way around the estate tax. Well, if the person has already purchased the property directly in order to get out of that situation where now they own an asset in their name, it's not held in a foreign corporation, they can't just transfer it to the foreign corporation and reverse course and avoid U.S. taxes because the transfer to the foreign corporation will be a deemed sale in the U.S. And there's income tax issues with that, capital gains tax issues with that, that again are beyond the scope of what I'm talking about today, but just know that that's the case. So you can't just say, okay, I, I fine, I own this house in Scottsdale uh, in my name directly, but I'll just put it into a foreign corporation because I heard that owning it through a foreign corporation solves the estate tax riddle. And the answer to that is it would, but you're going to get subject to capital gains tax, which might not be very pleasant, depending on the nature of the, the asset and the, and the values and things. So there's very limited opportunities to get out of the structure on an income tax-free basis once somebody has already bought the property directly. Sometimes uh, you might think, well, why don't I just give it away? Well, the U.S. backs up the estate tax with what's called the gift tax. And the gift tax also applies to transfers to family members, including non-U.S. citizen spouses. In the case of Regular family members, non-spousal family members, or really anybody else in the world, non-spouse. Uh, every every value of the asset above sixteen thousand dollars is subject to the gift tax. The gift tax is a forty percent tax, roughly. Gifts to non-citizen spouses, similar rule, except instead of sixteen thousand dollars, it's roughly one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. It's index for inflation, or the number is index for inflation, but we we'll say roughly for round numbers, one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Um, and everything valued above that is a gift subject to this 40% gift tax. Similar things apply where you've got to file a gift tax return, you got to report it, you got to pay the tax. If you haven't, there's a lien. So it's very difficult to get out of this structure for a non-citizen, non-resident without having to go through some tax pain in the United States. But if they're being, if they're cognizant of the issue before they come to the U.S., then they would structure the ownership potentially through a foreign corporation. The other way they might do it is through a foreign trust that is structured in a way that it's an irrevocable trust and the assets of the irrevocable trust are not included in their estate when they die. And that's a, a lot of loaded terms in there, which again, 
somewhat beyond the scope of what I'm talking about today, but if the trust is structured just so, then they can own the, ha the residence or the commercial real estate or whatever through this trust structure. And then when the person dies, they don't have to pay tax, um, estate tax on the real estate, the U.S. real estate. The other way to do it is for them to lend the money to purchase the residence. So say they set up this trust structure, they lend the trust the money to then buy the real estate. And if that lent amount is structured to pay what's called portfolio interest, the nuances of which again are beyond the scope of what I'm talking about today, but if it's structured in that way, then when they die, now they own a note, promissory note that pays them this portfolio interest, that promissory note is not subject to a state tax. And and they basically have the benefit of having invested in the U.S. real estate market and being paid back interest on their investment. In addition to that, portfolio interest, when it's paid on the note for a non-citizen, non-resident, slightly different rule for non-residency in this particular context, it's the income tax rule beyond the scope of what I'm talking about today, but just know that that's the case. But the payment of interest on those notes also is not subject to uh, U.S. tax, U.S. income tax. So that can be a handy way to structure things as well. So there's all sorts of little tools in the tool, tool uh, box that people can use when they're being well advised on how they can go about investing in the U.S. real estate market and not being hit with estate tax when they die. But you have to be aware of these rules before all of this happens, which is a rarity. And so many, many footfalls are tripped up on. Uh, many landmines are set off in this particular area of the tax code just because people are undereducated and they don't know these rules and they would have had no reason to know these rules. And frankly, a lot of their advisors don't know these rules and they would have had no reason to know these rules because they're a little bit esoteric and they're old and they sort of turn the normal rules on their head and they're just not well understood. So, all right, well, I'll leave it there. I know there was a lot of, that was like a Swiss cheese of information because there was so many so many holes of things that I didn't explain that I said were beyond the scope of what I was talking about, but hopefully you've forgiven me for that um, and learned something interesting about what happens when non-U.S. citizen, non-resident people buy real estate in the United States. All right, I'll leave it there. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I will see you next time. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.